Hi everyone, Francisco here. Just before we get started, I wanted to share something I'm really excited about. I recently launched the Story Powers Bootcamp, a course that teaches you everything you need to know about how to find, craft, and tell stories that work. But it's not just an online course, because you get personalized feedback from me for all the practical activities and three hours of live coaching to work through any challenges or focus on specific projects. So it's like if you bought a cookbook, but the chef came along with it. So go to storypowers.com and click on course. All the information you need will be there. So please check it out. And if you love the show and would like to support us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash storypowers. I drink about five coffees a day, so any support would be much appreciated. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Story Powers podcast, the show about the power of stories, the people who tell them, and why you should be doing it too. I'm your host, keynote speaker and storytelling coach, Francisco Mafus. My guest today is Javon J.T. McCormick. Javon shouldn't have succeeded. He was born the mixed-race son of a drug-dealing pimp father and an orphan single mother on welfare. He was raised in the slums of Dayton, Ohio, suffered incredible abuse and racism, and had multiple stints in the juvenile justice system. He barely graduated high school and has no college degree. But none of that stopped him becoming the president of two multi-million dollar companies. Currently, Javon is the president and CEO of Scribe Media. Ladies and gentlemen, the Alexander Hamilton of modern corporate America. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That is awesome. <laughs> I'm never going to get this out now. Welcome to the show. Oh, Francisco, that was, man, I have had, God knows, you, you said it at the beginning, man, I've been on so many podcasts and I have never had someone introduce me like that. That's next level right there. Well, I, I've, incredibly I've, humbled. I, I've been obsessed with uh, with Hamilton as most of America has. And, you know, it recently came out on, on Disney Plus. So I've watched it again. And every time I, I went through your, your bio, I kept getting this, the, the song in my head. And the song went, you know, how does the son of a pimp and an orphan with the name of a Scotsman <laughs> living, living impoverished and scholar grow up to be a corporate hero and leadership scholar? <laughs> Man, a, you know, a, a lot of belief in hard work that's how <laughs> yeah so so one thing i wanted to to do a little differently because as we said a couple of times already you've done quite a lot of podcasts and you know you you wrote you have a very powerful personal story you wrote a book called i got there which which is all about your personal story and for anyone who wants to know all of the details of that story, there's no shortage of places to go to. So I wanted to talk, obviously we're going to talk about that, but what I wanted to avoid doing this time around is have you repeat most of those things again. I can point people to the places where they can find that. And the very first thing I wanted to ask you is, obviously the the main facts of that story are very strong. You know, we, we, we say it, and I know you said it with humor before, but, you know, your father was a, a drug-dealing pimp, your mother was was an orphan. Um, so how do you go from that and make those things, as, it, as they call in storytelling terms, the, incite, the inciting incidents in your story, but not your whole story? How does that get you started, but not define everything you're about? 
You, you know, Francisco, I, I live by a formula, and you may have heard this or seen me write, write this before. Uh, it, it's mindset choices and hard work equals success. And I'll go through each one of those. So, so mindset, you know, every day at 4, 4.15 in the morning when the alarm clock goes off, you know, some days I don't want to get up. I'm human and, and I want to stay in bed. I want to hit the snooze button. I want to go back to sleep. But I, I say to myself, okay, somewhere right now, there's a person in a hospital bed that can't get out of bed. Somewhere in this world, there's a person trying to get into this country, to the, to the U.S., to create an opportunity for themselves. And when, when I take that mindset, I, I jump out of bed immediately and I say, okay, you know what? Let, let's make the most of it. You know, I, I'll give you a story to that as well with the, with the mindset of this. So my, my wife and I took our four kids to Disney World. And we, we, we've got a six-year-old, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. So, you know, there's a lot, lot of chaos going on when we were at Disney World. And our five-year-old was having a meltdown. He was just frustrated. He was hungry. He wanted to go ride some ride. And my wife was getting frustrated. And for a second there, I just said, okay, stop. Look over to the left. And there was a family. And they were lifting up a child that had severe cerebral palsy into the ride and then back into the wheelchair. And I told my wife, I said, look, this meltdown that our son's having right now, I said, it'll last 10, 20 minutes, but it'll pass. I said, that right there, that's forever. And I said, so we have to keep the mindset and not allow ourselves to get frustrated and and become angry because our child's having a, a meltdown at Disney World. Let's be thankful that we're here at Disney World. Let's be grateful we had the opportunity to bring our children to Disney World. So it, it's a mindset. And we all have that that choice of being able to to adopt the the, the mindset, which then takes me to choices. I, the, the choice when you talk about my background. You know, I have the choice. Do I want to focus on all of the negatives and the chaos that went on in my life? Or do I want to focus on the lessons that I learned from that chaos and and from those negatives? I choose to look at the positives from, from my background. And even though some may see them as negatives, I see them as positives. And, and Francesco, you've heard this. So there, there's one story in particular that was one of the greatest lessons that I ever took. And it's, it's a choice on how I want to see this story. Uh, on one occasion when my mother and I were standing in line waiting for our, our welfare check, our, our handout uh, of monthly uh, handout of welfare, an older lady looked down at me. She looked at my mom and then she spit in my mom's face and she called her a nigger lover. And in that moment, I was eight, nine years old. It, it hit me. And I, and I remember saying to myself, okay, no matter what I do in life, everyone is not going to like me because I, I, black people aren't going to like me because I'm half white. White people aren't going to like me because I'm half black. Everyone is never going to like me and I'm never going to be able to make everyone happy. So I made the choice at eight or nine years old to say, okay, I'm not going to spend my life trying to make everybody happy. One of the greatest decisions and choices I I ever made, because most people don't learn that lesson until high school, college, and God forbid, you don't learn that lesson that everyone's not going to like you until your first career. And then the the third part of that uh, formula is hard work. Francisco, I just, I'm I'm a guy that's always going to work hard. I'm always going to go the extra effort. I'll do what other people won't do. 
it doesn't matter if you're paying me to do a job. I'm going to go over and beyond what you're paying me for. I want to know how I can become better, how I can do more, how I can focus in on my attention to detail. So mindset, choices, and hard work equals success. It's very interesting, the example you used uh, for mindset, because the, the first thing that occurred to me is this thing that children in Brazil, I don't know if children everywhere, but children in Brazil, which is what I grew up, tended to hear all the time from our parents is whenever we didn't want to finish our, our meal, our mothers would tell us there are children starving in Africa and you're not finishing your food. And that is absolutely true. I don't know a single child that ever heard that and said, Oh no, you're right. I should definitely finish my food. <laughs> I should definitely finish this broccoli because there are children starving in Africa. Actually, I remember often, I'm not sure if I said it or my brother would say it, saying, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't eat this broccoli, mom. Uh, <laughs> but but, but the, the reason I'm saying that is so your approach is that you are taking the the, the gratitude is what you're going for there. And you're choosing to see, you know, all these things that we don't have to suffer should be the motivation for for us living a better life or at least looking at our life in a better way. But how how easy or how hard do you think most people find to actually make that connection the way you're describing it? I, I don't know. I, I would say it, it, it seems like most people find it to be challenging and, and I don't know why. And, and don't get me wrong, Francisco, I struggle with it. I'll give you another story. I mean, you, you know, like you said, the, the podcast is, is about stories. Uh, there, there was a time period last year when I left work early. It was Christmas time and I left work early. I was going to go home and watch Christmas movies with the family. We were going to make popcorn, have a good time. And so I left work early, tried to try to beat the traffic, and it was probably 34, 35 degrees outside. So it's a little chilly. It was raining, and I get stuck in traffic. And I mean, when I say stuck, it came to a dead stop. I had to put the car in park. And and I remember being so frustrated and just pissed off. I I, I text my wife. I said, I'm, I'm about to lose it. I'm, I'm pissed. I'm angry. And right as I was setting my phone down, it hit me and I thought to myself, you know what, you you really need to, to grab a hold of yourself, make a choice and think about this. You sat on bus stops when it was 30 degrees and raining. You sat and walked in the rain. You lived when it was 30 degrees outside and you had no electricity. And here you are driving in a, in a luxury car headed home to a gated community to a healthy family. And you're upset because you're stuck in a little bit of traffic. And so we, we, we all have moments of frustration and anger, but we, it's up to us to catch ourselves, catch our attitude in that moment and change it. Yeah, there is, there is this work by uh, Danny Kahneman. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. He, has a, he won a Nobel Prize in the books called Thinking Fast and Slow. And he talks about two different types of self. So there is the experiencing self, so what you live on a moment-to-moment basis, and the remembering self, so how you see your life. And there is this disparity between the two where you can think of your life now and say, you know, this is the great job I have, this is the family I have, this is where I live, and you can love all those things, but the moment-to-moment of being stuck in traffic, it's still the moment-to-moment of being stuck in traffic. So it, it's always sort, of, it, it's always that battle between 
can you see your can you zoom out of your life and right. see how great it is or how great it is in contrast to other people's or to to your previous life versus Yes, but this asshole just cut me off and I want to get out of the car and pummel him. Well, so, so that's a great example. So so here, like you said, can you zoom out and, and think about this? When someone cuts me off in traffic, here's my thought. Immediately, I think to myself, okay, if my, if, if I myself and the, and the person who just cut me off are going to the exact same place right now, they're going to get there maybe 20 seconds faster than me. And so why get frustrated? Okay, they cut you off. They got in front of you. Great. They're going to get there 20 seconds before you. Why be frustrated by that? Why get upset? But again, it's up to us to choose how we want to look at it. And, and this is important because a lot of people have challenged me on this. They're like, well, JT, I don't have uh, the, the background you come from. I don't have those challenging stories. And, and truth be told, a lot of people are, are, are caught off guard by this. I actually don't think back to my own personal stories a lot when things get tough. I think about what's going on right now. And what I mean by that is there's a mom, a single mom with two kids walking 1,100 miles from Honduras to try to get into the United States to create an opportunity for herself and her kids. I've never experienced that. But I take the time to think about it and think to myself, okay, I was born in this country. I'm already ahead of the game. It's up to me. I have a responsibility to succeed and find success. So I choose to look at things that are going on right now. Right now, obviously, here in the United States, you know, the pandemic's going on, the virus disruption, and there's a lot of unemployment. And there's people standing in line for for food. I I don't have that problem right now. But I do take the time to, to be grateful and appreciative that, wow, you know, no matter how hard things are for me right now, I, I'm not battling on how am I going to feed my children. I guess that as someone who who tells a lot of stories, you know this very well that you can get the same set of facts and just derive a completely different moral from that same story. As you said at the beginning with the story with your mom, you know, you chose to see it in a certain way. I mean, you said something before, and I had this crazy idea that people were saying, "Oh, I didn't have the background you did." I'm sure that there are some people that would have the exact same upbringing you have and take a completely different view of life than you do. And there's some people that might even (laughs) have some sort of twisted version of privilege where you were lucky that you've gone through this and now you're a stronger person. They never had to face hardship in their life, so they have no, you know, they've never developed that backbone or that sense of, of, of hard work that, that you have. So when things that are going on now all across the world are happening, this, they're just unprepared. Totally. And, totally. It, it's Francisco. I, I, I so appreciate you brought that up because right now here in the States, there's uh there's a hot term right now, privilege. Uh, they're, they're privilege. Every, every privilege. I, I'm so sick of hearing the word privilege. And, but here's, here's the downside that no one talks about. If, you come, and my kids will face this. If you come from a, a, a loving two-parent home where, you, you know, my, I, I'll just use my kids. Loving two-parent home, gated community, always had food on the table, went to private Christian schools. You had everything there for you. So kids could, you know, people could look at my kids and say, oh, they're, they're privileged. But here's the downside of privilege. If you've never faced adversity, when it hits you, 
you don't know what to do. So if you've had this incredible life uh, of two-parent home, they sent you to college, you were just set up for success, great. But when, when adversity comes and it hits you in the mouth, what are you going to do? And, and so many people don't know how to respond. And, and, and I'll give you a great uh, personal example of this. When I lost all my money, I, I had uh, managed to accumulate uh, a little over a million dollars and I lost it all. And I had to go back to being broke and went to a one bedroom apartment. And, and I, I make the joke that I was negative broke because I had to borrow money from my stepdad and my, my best friend to pay my rent. But it was interesting because I knew what it was like to be broke. I knew, okay, I, I did this once. I can do it again. So, oh my God, it sucked. I did not like the fact that I put myself back in this position, but I knew how to manage. I can't imagine if you come from a wealthy family or even a, a well-off family and you go broke, <laughs> you have no clue how to operate in, in broke. When I was broke, Man, I was best friends with Broke. We already knew each other. So there, there wasn't an, uh, a lot to overcome. It was just, okay, you got to pick yourself back up and, and, and get out of this situation again. The case with children is, is a crazy one, but it makes complete sense if you, if you look into the, the science of how the brain works and how essentially how character is built, which is the, the truth is people like you or I or you know most people that are sort of middle class or up – in a way, we are screwing our children by giving them a good life. You know, there's an argument to be made, and I'm not sure either of us are going to make it, that, you know, if you got the pimp clothes on and, and vanish for long periods at a time from your home, that might be a great learning experience for your children. Obviously, we're not going to do those things, but it's also how do you, how do you let them leave those stories or, or stories of hardship and experiences of hardship so that they can build a more resilient character because th there's a good chance that that they won't be, you know they're not having to face great challenges in life other than i don't know studying really hard to try and get into one particular university right that's right now francisco for me that is my greatest challenge in life it's not making more money it's not figuring out how do we scale the company it's not being the the best leader that I can possibly be. My greatest challenge in life is how do I give my children this incredible lifestyle and get them to appreciate it, but also teach them things will get hard. The, you, life will get hard at times and you have to be able to bounce back, see the positive, navigate through it. And if they've never had to navigate, if they've never had to face challenges, how do how that's my for me that's my greatest challenge how do i give them everything but teach them to appreciate it my experience there i think is is one that perhaps might give you some some ideas you know because i i consider myself as much as far as privilege goes fairly privileged you know i grew up in a middle class family in brazil i studied english since i was very young i had everything i possibly needed but then i got you know, as, as most things happen because of a girl, I decided that it wasn't working out for me in Brazil and then I needed a change and I ended up in, in Europe. So I ended up in London and I knew I knew one person that I had seen once for half an hour and that was it. All the advice I had gotten to how to make a living in London was terrible. None of it was any good. <laughs> and, and I had, I was so dumb. 
so dumb that I spent a year and a half saving money to travel to Europe without realizing that the exchange rate of the Brazilian real to the to the English pound was not the same as to the dollar. So I arrived in Europe thinking I had like five grand to my name or 10 grand to my name. And I had something like two, which was enough <laughs> to last me two weeks, two or three weeks in London. Um, and, you know, obviously all the things that I had lived through up until that point served me. And, and I think I had a much easier start in, in Europe than a lot of people do. But just going to a different country is going to provide experiences that are similar in in difficulty to a lot of the things perhaps you had to go through. And, and it's something that I think children that grow up in, in places like the US or most parts of Europe should definitely do. Send them to a, to a difficult country or the poorer country, instant lesson in gratitude. And if they decide to stay there for a year or two to work their way into something, they will have difficulties that they probably never have had in America. Yeah, it's it's interesting you said that too. Because so, so Francesca, Francisco, I've only been out of this country one time ever. I'm, I'll be 49 years old in eight weeks. I've only ever been out of the United States one time, and it was to Monterey, Mexico, to open a new office when I was with the software company. And that's the only time I've ever been out of this country. And, and so many people will say, oh, JT, how come you've, you've never traveled? How come you've never gone anywhere? And my answer has always been, man, there's people dying literally every day trying to get into this country. I'm not trying to leave. So, <laughs> I, I, but, but to, to your point, even here in the States, uh, you know, a lot of people will do mission trips. Uh, like, like I said, my kids go to, to private Christian school and People will do mission trips to, to other countries. And, and I've always said to my wife, you know, you don't need to do a mission trip to another country to see what poverty looks like. We have it here in the States. I, I can take you to some places where there's holes in the floor, where there's no running water. Uh, you know, you, you look at the native reservations here. It, they, they have no running water. They have no electricity. That's here in the United States. So I, I totally agree with you. It's really just seeing uh, and experiencing what others are living with or living without. Let me bring us back to to storytelling because this is something that you know. Arguably, this is not anything you ever studied officially, um, but it's clearly interweaved into everything you do. So I, I you know, I, I met you originally because of you telling stories on on LinkedIn. And then everywhere I looked, it was, you know, your personal story is is the one that gets told a lot, but your blog is full of stories. Um, And some of them very, um, very easy to, very easy to remember or very hard to get out of my head, like (laughs) Uncle Bobby's time, Uh, the uncle who abandons the family when they are two minutes late. Yes. Uh, so, so how how did that start? I mean, was there any point that you just realized you were telling the stories? Did did you have any members of your family that told you stories on a regular basis? No, I, I, matter, matter of fact, I'll give you a a, a, a funny story. Uh, so, so when I first came on with uh, Scribe and, and I took the role of CEO, uh, the two co-founders Tucker and Zach said to me, hey, you're going to go out and you're going to speak at uh, EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization. You're going to speak at their national conference. And I said, who am I going to speak to? And and they said, no, you're going to be on stage. And I said, the hell I am. I I had never been on stage before. I said, what am I going to say? And they go, are you going to tell your story? I'm like, oh, no. And, you know, because at that point, 
the book had just come out and, and I had just grown comfortable with the book even being public. When, when I did that book, I never wanted it to be public, Francisco. I, I did that book for my children. That was it. And, and so I never wanted that book to be public, given some of the stories in there. So anyway, they say, you're going to go out and you're going to uh, speak on stage. You're, you're going to keynote. And I'm like, okay, first, I don't even know what a keynote is. And, and so <laughs> nobody, I, nobody knows, really. Yeah, I'm like, what's a keynote? It's just and, a little it's, fancy uh, <laughs> So I said, okay. And I just got a notepad, wrote down some of my stories, and, and I tried to, to make it at least flow in some type of order. And then I went to YouTube and I watched videos of the pastor Joel Osteen, the pastor T.D. Jakes, Kevin Hart, the comedian, and Jerry Seinfeld, the, the comedian. And my takeaways were, don't look down, don't say um, and don't put your hands in your pockets. That that were those were my takeaways. Solid, so, solid advice. <laughs> exactly. So so I go out, I do this keynote. I'm nervous is is all out. I'm just just nervous getting getting on stage, and so I get on stage. I do it, and literally when I finish up, I it, it felt to me like I ran off, off stage, and I get be, get back behind the, the 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 curtain and everything, and the gentleman back there says, "Hey, look!" And there's a screen. And I, I was receiving a standing ovation. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And a lady runs up to me and she says to me, Francisco, she goes, hey, who is your speaking coach? And I said to her, I said, I, I, I'm not being a smart ass. I go, what's a speaking coach? And she said, who, who trained you on stage presence, your storytelling? And I said, Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes, Kevin Hart, and Jerry Seinfeld, and she died laughing. And to, to take that a step further, Francisco, what really happened afterwards was very telling as well. After that conference, someone else invited me to speak at their conference, and they asked what my speaking fee was. I, I didn't know what a speaking fee was. I didn't know people got paid to be on stage and like tell a story. And I struggled because when they offered to pay me money to tell my story, I got very frustrated. I got offended. And the reason being was when I was a kid and my mother and I struggled and we didn't have any money, no one gave us any money. When I, when I ate my free lunch at school on a Friday afternoon and I didn't eat again until Monday afternoon when I got another free lunch, no one gave us any money. But now people wanted to pay me and give me money to get on stage and tell you about when I needed money. And that whole dynamic, the irony of it would really offended me. And, and I'm a God guy. And, and so I, I, you know, made my peace with God, said my prayers and, and said, okay, you know, if, if this is the path, if this is If you is really what, want what, to pay me, I, I, I will, I will <laughs> take your money. <laughs> yeah, I made peace with this. So, you so. made peace with all the money they wanted to give you. Okay? I, I did. So, so, but it was funny. I, I didn't need money then. You know, I was fi financially, I, I had all the money I could ever ask for. And I did not need money. But here people wanted to pay me to hear about when I needed money. And I, I struggled with that in, in the beginning. It's also interesting that you say how when the book came out that you you, were, you didn't originally intend it to be to make those stories public because you know if we go into your website now the very first thing it says and i was i was just checking out so i didn't get it wrong it says the successful ceo who started as the son of a pimp and an orphan again the, again getting the hamilton tune in my head 
<laughs> I mean, you, you gotta get someone to record it for you and just play it when the website comes up. Uh, not me, clearly, because I couldn't rap to save my life. But no, what, what I'm getting at is you didn't think the stories should be public. And now they are the very first thing that people find about you when they go to your website. And as we were talking just before we started recording, you are even well, not changing your name, but you're going back to using your, your real name, which is Javon, instead of JT. So, I mean, ha- has telling your story allowed you to make peace with your story? Oh, very much. It, it doing the book was incredibly therapeutic. There was there's stories in that book that I swore, oh man, Francisco, I swore those those stories were going to stay in a safe with chains around it, with 18 different padlocks uh, on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, because I never wanted anyone to to know those stories. And and I had spent so the great majority of my life not wanting you to know who I was. I didn't want you to know my dad was a pimp. I didn't want you to know that he fathered 23 children, or to this day, I still don't know where my last name comes from. I I spent so much time not wanting you to know my background, but now here it was going to be completely public for for everyone. So yeah, it was completely freeing, therapeutic. Matter of fact, there's a page in the book, my favorite page. It says, my name is Javon Thomas McCormick. I'm half white, half black. My father was a pimp and drug dealer, father 23 children. My mother was an orphan. I don't know where my last name comes from. And I barely graduated high school. I've got a GED and I never went to college. And that's that's, that's just a freeing page that uh, I, I my, my favorite page in the book. And, and, and to take it a step further, there's another page in there as well where you just had to own it. Man, Francisco, I sucked in relationships. Man, I couldn't hold a relationship. I don't have a lot of regrets in life, but I do have remorse and I'm I'm very remorseful for how I I treated uh, women, girls, ladies when when I was in in relationships because I just didn't know how. And and I don't blame anybody and it's no one's fault. It's my fault. You know, I I did it. uh, But man, I was a monster and, and I just didn't know how to have a healthy relationship. Now, here I am. I've been with my wife almost 10 years. This is the first healthy relationship I've ever had. There is this beautiful song by a, a Brazilian singer called Elis Regina, and it says, Apesar de tudo que vivemos, ainda somos os mesmos e vivemos como os nossos pais, which is, in spite of everything we've done and lived through, we're still the same and we live just like our parents did. And it's... It's to me it would be no surprise that if your father was a pimp and not and not a fun, you know, fun-loving pimp like the ones they show on TV, a yeah. pimp who had 23 children. It's not surprising that your model for dealing with for, for relationships with women wasn't necessarily the healthiest one. You know, if you've been with her 10 years and you got four children, you know, you might still get the other 19. But <laughs> You know, it's no, no, a good man, chance you didn't have our good model, JT. Man, we are, we are done, man. We're, we're medically done. <laughs> there are no more children coming in. But, you know, you, you make a good point. Not only was it my dad, though, straightforward, I never saw a male figure treat my mother with respect and, and dignity and, and love and care. So it wasn't just... Yeah, my, my father, that, that's a whole different story of what I saw with him. But I actually never saw anyone treat my mother that way 
either. And so there just wasn't, and then in the community where I came from, it was always just chaos. I, I never saw uh, loving families or, or parents and moms and dads. Most of my friends had, had uh, you know, single moms. My, my best friend to this day, you know, he, he was raised by a single mom. You know, his, his dad uh, died early, died when he, I believe he was eight years old. His dad was very abusive. So even my best friend, we did not have models in our lives to show us what healthy relationships look like. And he's even struggled in relationships. And we have that, that conversation all the time. And we've kind of learned from each other, like, okay, you made that mistake. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I made this mistake. You don't do that. And, and so it's just, it's the power of being able to see what's possible in, in a model figure. Uh, it, it's incredible. It's strange. I mean, it's not too strange, but but it's surprising how in a country that values the self-made man, right? Forever, how much we want to believe that anyone is truly self-made, but, right. but, but in a country that values the work and starting from nothing, arguably more than any other country in the world. I mean, it's part of the American uh, uh, myth that, you know, what you lived, you know, the American dream, and that you would make it and have all the, the trappings of what America tends to consider a successful person, but still not feel that comfortable with your story. You would think that your story makes your achievement larger and not something to hide. Yeah, it, it, it took, like I said, it took a while. I, I struggled with, for the longest, Francisco, uh, with the fact that I didn't have a college degree. So every time I interacted with someone who had a, an, an MBA, uh, God forbid you had a PhD, I always had a certain level. I wouldn't show it to you, but internally, I always had a certain level of intimidation because you had these academic credentials that I did not have. E even to this day, I don't hold a pencil the right way, a pencil or a pen. No one ever taught me how you know, the, the right way. For me, the right way is do you get the job done, period. And, but no one ever taught me the proper way to hold a pencil or a pen. What, uh, is, I, what is the proper way to hold a pencil? Hey, I... I <laughs> God, well, no, you, you say yeah. that, but I, I found out when I was in my late 20s and I was doing a lot of client work where I had to sit across the table from a client and they said... Are you left-handed? And I said, Well, yeah. clearly not. I'm holding, <laughs> I'm holding the pencil with my right hand. I was like, but you write like a lefty. So yes. I had to have a very unpleasant conversation with my mom where I said, Mom, did you try to make me not left-handed? And she was like, No, how could you say this to me? I was like, why do I write this way? I was like, I don't know, you're a weirdo. Don't blame me. <laughs> exactly. I get the, I get the same thing all the time. When when I write, it looks like I'm left-handed or I have a deformity right. or yeah. Exactly. And it uh, looks like I'm trying to cover my page. Or oh, something. yeah. yeah. And, and God knows nobody wanted to copy off my, my test. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I never wanted, I, I was very intimidated by people who had the academic credentials. And so uh, you, you're, you're right. For as much as we covet the come from nothing, become successful in, in this country, uh, for me, yeah, I, I did not want anyone. To, to know my, my background. I tried to stay so far away from you knowing anything about my background. If you thought I was Puerto Rican, great. I was Puerto Rican. If you thought I was Middle Eastern because I let my, my facial hair grow, great. I'm Middle Eastern. What I, I did whatever I had to do to get to wherever I wanted to be.
Yeah, no, I can I can see how, particularly in America, now it's being clearer than ever how race relations in America being what they are, how uh, having to own up to to a mixed heritage might not be the easiest thing in the world. I mean, Brazil is Brazil has a lot of problems in that way, but I think there is we're perhaps a few years or decades ahead in that it's it's a much bigger part of the culture in Brazil. I think the, there's still plenty of prejudice, there's still plenty of racism, but I, I think that it's long gone the time when someone with a you know, mixed race parents would not proudly proclaim that to be the case. I think actually in Brazil it tends to be more that they will say, I'm black. That's it. There is yeah. no mixed race. But but yeah, again, we think we're past some of these things and clearly we're very far away from, from being past them. And it's interesting you say that too, Francisco, because even here in this country, uh, several people have been offended when they've heard me say this. Uh, because I am half black, half white, people have just designated me as black sometimes. And I go, no, I'm not just black. I'm I'm equally as proud of being half black as I am of, as being half white. And And if you just... Uh, designate me as black, then you totally leave out the fact that I have a white mother. And, and so again, I'm equally as proud to be both races, half black, half white. And in fact, I can't change my race. That's why I'm proud of both of them. I, I've literally had people ask me when I was growing up, which would you rather be? As if I had a choice. There, there is no choice in this. I, I'm half white, half black. And so it was rough growing up in the United States in the 70s being mixed race. You know, you got called half breed, zebra, Oreo cookie, color confused. Uh, you know, it, it, it's funny. I, I always make the joke and I tell people black people would call me white boy because I wasn't as dark as, as an all black person. And then white people would call me the special N-word. And it's like I got called names on both sides. And so it was very tough to fit in. So I'm not a big – when race – the conversation of race comes into play in our country, I always tell people, if you want to have a conversation about race, let me know because I'll tell you what it's like when no one likes you. At least if you're all black, you have a community that you can at least embrace – and you can be all black together. Like I said, there were millions of black people who didn't like me because I was half white. And God knows there were millions of white people that couldn't stand me because I was half black. One thing you said took me back to something from my childhood, which is that, um, so you mentioned one of the nicknames was Oreo Cookie, which I never heard. But <laughs> <laughs> in Brazil, Oreos are not called Oreos. They're called negresco, which wow. is which is a slight variation on the word negro. Yeah, uh, which in Brazil doesn't have the connotation that it has in the right, United right. States. But I remember looking at that and thinking, as soon as I came to the US, I was like, I can see why they changed the name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't, wouldn't really work the same name. Yeah, not gonna have the same. <laughs> yes, so, yes. So, so there's something you do. Which goes against what a lot of a lot of people that work in marketing, what a lot of people even that work in storytelling love saying all the time, which is no one cares about your story. Now they care about how your story connects with them or makes them feel. Now, obviously, you should be the proof, and, and the fact that you are an in-demand speaker and you get very high ratings as a speaker um, from from all the testimonials that I've seen. But your story is not one that is necessarily that easy to 
relate to for a lot of these people. I don't think they're going there because, like, oh, yeah, no, I lived that. That was my childhood. <laughs> so, so I mean, it'd be surprising if it was in, in that case. But what do you think it is that that is so powerful about your story, at least in the context that you've shared it? So in corporate environments, why a story that you were afraid to talk about 10 years ago is now something that is very powerful and very moving and very inspirational? It's a combination. There's not one thing. It's a combination of dynamics. And I, and I never lose sight of this. There are people in this country who have far worse backgrounds than I have gr- growing up. And, and I've got a pretty chaotic, horrible background. But there's people that even go next level uh, of horrific backgrounds. So, so you have people who have worse backgrounds. You've got a ton of people who have been president of software companies. You have people who have been presidents and CEOs of publishing companies. But to take my background and to take those the, those uh, business uh, achievements, you you that just doesn't exist in our country. It's like, okay, how did that happen? How did that even take place? And so that in itself is is part of the. I, I believe the the fascination but behind it. And I never lose sight of that because I know there's so many people that come from the communities that I do that have way worse backgrounds than I do. And there's a lot of people who've gone on to have far more success thus far in business. And so, but it's the it's the combination of the two that are, are that is really interesting. And then you couple that with again, we have an incredible uh, race dynamic in this country. And then so you, you throw race in there and, and it had being half white, half black. And then you throw in my name, which people see my name is is a black name, Javon. And, and the fact that I changed my name from Javon to go by JT so I could further my career. So you throw in all of these different dynamics and that's the interest in the story of how did all of that even take place? And, and again, I never, I never wanted my story to be public. I never wanted to be a keynote speaker. I never wanted to be an author. I just wanted the book for my for my kids. And so, uh, all, all I've ever really cared about, Francisco, is is working hard, uh, achieving success. And success is defined by each individual. No one can define success for you. So for me, success was a, a lot of it was tied to to money because I grew up broke. And so I just wanted to be successful. I, I know, I know, I always wanted a happy family life because I didn't have one. I always wanted to, you know, one of my favorite things I did. I'll share this with you. When my wife and I had our first child, Ava, one of my favorite things that I did, as I said, I want to send out a Christmas card. When I was a kid, I always loved seeing family Christmas cards where they maybe they put on the, the the sweaters or they took a picture in front of the Christmas tree or the fireplace. And I remember I said, I want to send out a family Christmas card. Every year we send out a family Christmas card. I'm sure your children love it. You know, right now they do. And they're fine with it. You <laughs> know, they're, they're, they're years. still young. Yeah, they're still young. They, they, uh, you know, call me an ass when I say this, but if you want presents <laughs> under the tree, you'll continue to love it. <laughs> yes, yes. I think uh, I think we have to find uh, subtle ways to keep them uh, from putting up with some of our nonsense as the yes. years go by. Uh, now, one of the the other sort of contradictory things about your trajectory is that. You know, as much as you're into uh, telling stories, particularly your story, 
but as I understand, you're not much of a book reader, right? No, no. I, I so my co-founder uh, Tucker, yeah. Tucker, his library at his house, man, he's got to be. I asked him what he, he's he's either at or he has surpassed. But Tucker's got about ten thousand books in his library. I mean, this library is massive. And I walked through his whole library one day and just looked at all the books. And I had literally read read maybe five of the books, but I had listened to a lot of the books. So I'm big on audio books. I'm big on if I hear it, I'll retain it and, and, and I can really take action on it. And I, I love to listen to audio books, but I read so slow. It, it would just take me forever to be able to read a book. So I'm not a big reader. The reason I asked that is because I knew of you, I had spoken to you, but I hadn't actually found out that much about what Scribe does. And then I went and found out and just kind of just blew my head clean off. (laughs) 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 I mean, I'm sure you did this better than me, but can you just explain to people who don't know what exactly you guys do? I mean, the, the the core business you guys have. So Francisco, I know you've heard me, heard me say this before, but uh, even that, you know, you asked me why why people are interested in the story. You know, here I was the president of a software company. I don't write code. I, I cannot write code. And, and now I'm the CEO of a publishing company. I can't tell you an adverb from an adjective. I can't spell. I read slow. Uh, but you write we, like a left-handed person. I write like a left-handed person. So yeah, there, there's there's just interest in the story, I guess. But yeah, here at Scribe, we, we've been around almost six years now. We've worked with over 1,700 authors and we help authors uh, write, market, and publish their, their books. And some of the big names that we've worked with uh, here in the States, the ex-Navy SEAL David Goggins, he had the most sought after book in America last year, second only to Michelle Obama. We've worked with the Nobel Peace Prize Committee, Nassim Taleb, uh, the, the actress Tiffany Haddish. So we, we've worked with a lot of big name authors, but the great majority of our authors are CEOs, business owners, consultants, founders, uh, and, and we help them tell their stories and, and put them in a book. And, and we, we stole this from my, my mom. When, when I was a kid, my mom would say, everyone has a story and you don't know their story, so don't judge. And that became kind of the, the tagline, if you will, is we believe everyone has a story and everyone should tell their story. Once I know the story, can I judge then? You can judge it then. But, <laughs> <laughs> but until you know the story, you can't. You know, a, a lot of times it's just it's human nature. We see somebody... Maybe a homeless person, or or you know, uh, uh, maybe a person that's overweight, and we're we're quick to throw judgment, especially here in the United States. Oh my God, we're we're just quick to judge uh, people, but you don't know their story. You know, it's just like me. You can uh, oh, Francisco, here's here's a great example of judgment on one of my posts that that you talked about on LinkedIn. Somebody told me I was privileged, <laughs> and and I died laughing because I said. Obviously, this person does not know my background, but we're so quick to judge that it's amazing that we don't always just take the time to get to know someone before we pass judgment on them. It might be your uh, your Scottish surname that's throwing them off, JT. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, the one thing about Scribe that was, was incredible is, because I had never heard of this, is that if I understand correctly, one of the services you guys provide to CEOs and business people is 
it's not that you write the book for them because as ghost writers have been doing this for years, but isn't it just a process of you you talk through the outline of the book and then you go through, I don't know how many uh, recording sessions, but essentially the person just tells you what they think the book is and what the stories are, and then you put that together into a book? Yes. So what we do is we take your story. We, we don't want you to do any of the writing. We don't want you to put your fingers on the keyboard. Sit back, grab your beverage of choice, and let us pull that content from you. Let us dig into the details that make for a great story, that make for a great book. This is, this is factual. One of the hardest things to do is to think and to write at the same time. So we want to take the writing away from you. But what's key here, what's very important is we're not ghost writers in the traditional sense. What, what I mean by that is you, Francisco, you can't say to me, JT, uh, I want to write a book about the new iPhone. I run off and I you know, do all this research and put together a, a book on, on the iPhone. Then we slap your name on it. No, this book is your content, your tone, your voice, your book. And, that, and that's very important because we're not just ghostwriters that go off, make something up and put your name on there. It seems kind of obvious once we, you know, once you realize that how technology has advanced, particularly with transcription and things of that nature. But I, you guys were the first ones doing that, right? Yes. Yes. It, 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 and here's the thing. There's, there's traditional publishing and then there's self-publishing. The, the, the self-publishing tag Many people still think of uh, you're going to run down to FedEx Kinko's, the cop, copy shop, and, and staple a bunch of papers together when, when people think of self-publishing. So we've created our own lane, and we call it professional publishing. And it's a combination of traditional and, and self-publishing. But you can put our books next to any traditional published book on, on a shelf, and you don't know if it's HarperCollins, if, if it's Penguin, or if it's Lioncrest and, and Scribe. Having published my own book, I can guarantee that there is no stapling or kinkos involved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But the other thing about Scribe that I, that I wanted to just pick your brain on was that, if I'm not mistaken, the, and this had already happened in your previous company, where the, the Scribe is, is voted or has been voted one of the best places to work in America. So, so Entrepreneur Magazine named us the number one company culture in America. And that, that's something we take great pride in. And then here in Austin, Texas, we were named the uh, number, one, uh, number one best place to work for in Austin and number two best place to work for in Texas. So we, we take great pride and we covet our, our culture. So uh, everything we do, we, we do it different in, in it's all led by people first. Given that you already had gotten some type of award recognition like that in the previous company, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you have something to do with this thing. <laughs> you know, I, I, I will give you the answer, uh, and it's a very sincere answer that, that I give to everyone that makes the, the connection between, you know, JT, you guys won a, a ton of best places to work when you were at the software company. Now you guys have won a, a ton of uh, awards at the publishing company. I, I say this, and I believe that every leader should believe this. I'm only as good as the great people I'm surrounded by. There, the, no one person makes for a great company. You have to surround the company and yourself with great people. 
And I never want to be the smartest person in the room. That's not that's not hard to do, but I never want to be the smartest person in the room. I ask questions and I want to be surrounded by people far smarter than myself that I, I can ask these questions, take this information in, and we make the best decisions possible. But there's, you know, we, we celebrate, I know, especially here in the States, you know, we celebrate these leaders, uh, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, blah, blah, blah. And the fact of the matter is, they're only as good as the great people they're surrounded by. Okay, yeah, they, they had an idea, but that idea has to be executed on. The, the vision has to have execution behind it. I, I tell people all the time, my dad had a lot of great ideas, but he didn't execute. His follow through was horrible. So execution is the key. And, and, and that execution has to come from people who are, are far smarter uh, and, and greater than you. And it's also true to say that some of the people you mentioned probably didn't create the most pleasant work environments uh, oh, to, to, to allow for their, for their achievements. Uh, I, I, I so thank you for, for saying that. It, it's amazing to me that in our country, we're constantly screaming about culture and work-life balance and all of these different things, uh, uh, people first. But we uphold Steve Jobs. It is known. It is documented. It is factual. Steve Jobs was not a nice person to work with. Elon Musk. Elon Musk has in his book, the part I remember reading this, it's in his book. It was Friday afternoon and he and the team all agreed that they were going to come in on Saturday. And they had already worked a 90 hour week by Friday afternoon. But everybody agreed they were going to come in on Saturday. So Elon got there at like 7 a.m. Everybody else comes rolling in about nine and he calls a meeting once everybody's there. And he says, excuse my language. He says, we're fucking getting soft. And, and so I'm thinking to myself, OK, but we hold these people up as if they're the, the great leaders of, of our country. But when it comes to culture, when it comes to putting people first. They're horrible. And so it's just amazing the hypocrisy we, we have in our country on the things that we claim that we value, but the people we uphold. There is a podcast that is tremendous fun. It's called Behind the Bastards. And they just get people <laughs> that either either contemporary people, uh, you know, like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg uh, or, you know, the historical figures and then just do a deep dive in, in their history and their work practices and whatever. I think for Elon Musk, they did two episodes. For Zuckerberg, they did three. <laughs> they did three wow. hour and a half long episodes. To, to you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, too, with, with Mark Zuckerberg, and I, I've said this out loud. You know, everyone, okay, great, he was the founder. Even that's questionable because some people believe he stole the idea. Okay, whatever the case may be. Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook. It is what it is. But what's interesting to me is... He's the CEO, but Mark Zuckerberg is really just the face boy of Facebook. Sheryl Sandberg runs that company, and, and I don't feel that she gets enough credit for what's been created um, with the culture, with the, the success. Uh, but a lot, I, I just don't believe that she receives the credit she should for all things Facebook. Every, everyone sees uh, Mark Zuckerberg because he holds the CEO title, 
But uh, Sheryl Sandberg runs that company. Well, given the the grilling that they are receiving more and more, I think she's just smarter. She's she, you don't want the front <laughs> yeah, at this for point, any of that. You at want this to be point, she's to, probably happy she's not the front. You want to be able to at some point jump out a few million dollars to reach her and go. That was all Mark. That was Mark. I didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> Uh, oh man yeah listen sir um i am sure that you are never gonna appear in an episode of behind the bastards <laughs> I, i'm gonna do my best not to ever be on there <laughs> and uh and I, I wanted to thank you for your time again i know you're you're a very busy man uh and i very much appreciate the the, the hour you've given me today my man francisco this is true truly humbled honored flattered to to be on the show and and i i always appreciate your comments on linkedin all right everyone thanks for li- tuning in take care of yourselves and until next time i hope you enjoyed the show and if you did i'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a review or a rating on the apple Podcasts app it's very easy you open the app and find this show Then scroll down a little, and when you see the stars, tap. I'd really appreciate it, and it does help other people find us. And if you'd like to get in touch, or find out more about what I do, reach out to me on LinkedIn, or visit my website, storypowers.com.